You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Garrett Mergoof. And he founded a leading B2B and enterprise search marketing agency just five years ago and has guided the company to be a market leader for B2B search marketing. He has year-over-year growth of over 300% and has expanded from one location into four locations, I think, and has been published in leading publications like Salesforce, Marketing Land, Moz, Market2, Search Engine Land, Ahrefs, and on a whole gambit of other places. So he's here today to share with us a little bit about his concept of discoverability and the truth behind search marketing and B2B. So welcome to the show, Garrett. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here and chat about discoverability with you and your audience. Yeah, I love it. It's a We're taking a little bit different direction, which I love. I don't want to talk about the same things over and over. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. I'm sure my yep. audience is sick of hearing it. So we're going to take a little bit different angle. And you have a very interesting perspective and it's obviously working for you. I mean, your business is growing like crazy. You know, before we dive into this, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? You know, give us two minutes of your journey, kind of how you got to where you are, and then we'll dive right in. All right. You got the timer, Dennis? I got um, it. <laughs> <laughs> so I started Directive about five years ago. And before I started Directive, I was selling social media calendars on Fiverr for five bucks. I was driving my 1978 Peugeot around lovely Azusa, California, handing out flyers and, you know, got a Persian restaurant as a customer, had no idea what I was doing, started handing out flyers for him, helping him with his menu. I knew I kind of had an eye for just marketing, but didn't quite have any tangible skills or any kind of unique value proposition. Worked with him for 30 days, came back on the 30th day to get the check. He said, come back tomorrow. Whole place was boarded up. So that's the very first customer for Directive. And, you know, ever since then, it's been a ton more failure than success, but every day just kind of plugging forward. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been blessed to work with some of the biggest brands in the industry and having a you know a great time doing it. I think we're at 60 plus employees now, offices all over the world and just really enjoying the process of learning how to get better and manage people and frankly, just get results for our clients. Love it. So when did you start Directive? About five years ago. I think I was 22 years old. I got my master's at 21, I think. So I was like 21, 22. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. So tell us a little, describe the business today. I mean, you know, you're past that startup phase, right? And you're, but you're still rapidly growing. If you don't mind, can you draw a picture for the audience, whether that be number of customers or revenue or something like that? Give us a size, a sense of scale of how big the agency is. You know, I think you said 60 employees. Is there anything else you can share? Yeah. I mean, we have customers like blue chip clients in the insurance space, about 50 to 60 plus B2B SaaS firms, you know, a lot of with a billion plus market cap. And yeah, you know, we're serving those customers in a very unique uh, way. You know, I think 
what I've learned about professional services is you have two options. And there's really only actually two options. Option one is you go kind of to Main Street and you do essentially low ticket consulting, highly scalable, process driven. And frankly, in search, you don't get great results. And the work you do is average at best. But for the price point, it could be better than other options at the price point. But it's not truly exceptional work. I know that because I've delivered truly unexceptional work at scale because it's all you can do. And it's not a great place to be, in my opinion. I think it's very easy to be disrupted by software. If anyone's ever used Shopify and you looked at Kit CRM, it would be very difficult to compete with a Kit CRM in the e-commerce space uh, for small business ad management, for example, because you know Kit will text you. It will you know say, hey, you know we noticed a 32% spike and in increase to this product category. Would you like us to launch this Facebook ad? It's already designed for you. Press yes. I mean, and it's free. I mean, what the heck's not to like there? And so. For us, it's always been about swimming upstream. So making sure our brand resonated with our ideal customer profile and then, you know, going after those tier one accounts where, you know, they have the opportunity and the market size and the market presence or they're a challenger brand where they can actually monetize our consulting value and allow us to charge retainers that drive true results by giving them the hours and time needed. And so for us, really, you know, our growth is always driven by going after bigger and better accounts and doing bigger and better work and treating every client like it's a case study. And if you really can follow that in the professional services model, you can grow and then you have to figure out you know, scalable ways to replace your small business revenue as you realize, or if you're committed to quality, you'll recognize that your brand will suffer if you continue to service small business because you can't actually meet their expectations with the time available due to their budget. And so that's why we keep going after more enterprise accounts and swimming upstream and then we're in developing innovative softwares and tools and learning systems to monetize small business, where in other words, we can maintain our gross profit margin while, without diluting our brand values around excellence. And gotcha. so, you know, that's a little bit about directive. Okay, cool. So the company itself, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, I'm not sure, share whatever you're comfortable with. Are you talking like one to 5 million, five to 10 million, 10 million plus? I mean, where do you guys sit in that perspective? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah. I mean, I don't love to you know, compare our agency to others. I think it really distracts a lot of agency owners from pursuing what they're most passionate about. The truth is, is you know, I, we're on trend to be 10 million plus, and you know, we have a lot of hard work to make that a reality. But you know, the, due to the nature of how recurring revenue works, you know, we're on trend to do that. And so I would just encourage anyone listening, though, that to recognize that you got to understand what your goals are as a man or a woman and what you're most passionate about. Because your company's doing 15 million doesn't mean you're making more as a founder intrinsically. So, you know, if you're financially driven or freedom driven, a lot of times you could just have two, you know, accounts that pay you 25K a month as a part time CMO and you'd make a crap ton more money and have a lot less headaches. Just, but you won't get to lead men and women. So it depends what you're passionate about. You know, for me, I'm really passionate about leading men and women and, you know, creating a special culture and team environment more so even than the work. And so, that's me, you know, but if you're an individual contributor who's incredibly passionate about a work, you know, starting an agency could be the end of the world for you. You'll make less money, you'll have more headaches, the work product is tough to keep as good as you'd like. You know, so you just have to understand what you're truly passionate about and then build a company for that. I think there's nothing worse for founders than comparing and despairing. And I know I've been a victim of that over the years. So, you know, I don't love to talk a ton of revenue and stuff with people only because I think it makes people compare and despair. And I, I really want people to be proud of what they're building because I think it's uniquely valuable to them. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate your angle on it too, because I think you're 100% right. Comparitis, <laughs> I call it comparitis. 
many of what could have been a successful entrepreneur had fallen to the side of the road because of comparitis, trying to look at what somebody else is doing. But I think it does help our audience understand the credibility of what you've built, right? In a pretty short order, you've built a company that's approaching $10 million. You're working with tier one clients. And talking about that, you said swimming upstream. You started in the small business market and you've continued to swim upstream and upstream. And now you're working with a lot of enterprise clients. If you don't mind me asking, what's the number one strategy that you use to get those enterprise clients, right? Because that's a different type of strategy than mm. you, how you got your first client, right? Handing out flyers is not how you're getting clients today. So yeah. how has that changed and what does that look like now? Take a minute on that if you would. Yeah, I think the big key there, you know, and just to give your audience, I guess a little bit of like, we get to work with, you know, Cisco, Samsung, Allstate, Tencent, Web.com, Sumo Logic, Surewell. Awesome, you know, B2B companies, enterprise companies, Pelican cases, software companies, whatever that is. The key is just, in my opinion, being humble and being self-aware. And what I mean by that is a lot of us think our brands are better than they are. And we think we can service certain customers better than we can. A lot of times you have to fake it to make it in the sense that, you know, you can only get a case study if you have the client. And so you got to get the client to get the case study and you might have to price discount or do whatever it takes to get that deal. But if you want to actually create sustainable growth and acquire enterprise customers, you need a product offering that's truly differentiated and enterprise. Like, do you fly out to every one of your customers for every proposal? Do you have a full customer marketing team that can honor those accounts? Can you put six people on an account that are all better than the $175,000 in-house marketer? Because if you can't, what they're going to wonder is why the heck they're paying you if they got to still drive strategy. And so there's a lot to it. And it's really just around self-awareness and humility and then being patient essentially till you truly have the best offering. I think we all want to have better marketing and sales and we don't focus enough on the product. Then if the product really isn't that darn good, you won't be able to sustain it. And so to me, the key to getting enterprise is number one, when they find you, you have to be differentiated. Like for us, we really focus on B2B and enterprise. When you find us, you're going to think, oh my gosh, finally a B2B and enterprise solution exists. Do we have the reporting for B2B and enterprise? Yeah. Do we have the framework? Yes. Do we have the service model? Yes. Everything we do is built for B2B and enterprise. And so you have to actually build the whole thing for it. And then you obviously have to be good enough at sales development, marketing, and other things. Like Directive, we rank number one for SEO agency. We spend you know, an obscene amount of money on new customer acquisition. And you have to be fully invested in it. You know, A lot of people who start professional services firms and agencies, they're still trying to become very cash rich. And so they don't spend a lot of money. They aren't spending you know, 10, 5, 8% of total revenue on a new acquisition. The founders, frankly, you know, pay themselves pretty darn well, and they grow naturally through referrals. And the truth is, is you know, you can't grow at very fast rates through only referrals, especially if you're trying to swim upstream because C clients know C clients, B clients know B clients, and A clients know A clients. And so if you want A clients, you have to go get them before you can expand into them. And so you know, to me, it's more about making sure you're completely aware of your limitations as well as what you're building. Build it exactly for your audience be okay saying no to the majority of people, and then actually truly build something that's special that has a unique value proposition to your ideal customer persona, and then market like crazy to that person. Love it. No, I think that point of differentiation and that point of really honing your product or your offer or your unique selling position or however you want to frame it before you go into the market or spending as much time on that as you focus on the marketing and sales side can have you upfront, I think can really be beneficial. And I love your perspective on that. 
So listen, we've got a lot to cover because I know that when I started asking you a few questions, you <laughs> I started drinking from a fire hose because you have so much information about this whole concept of discoverability and the truth behind search marketing and B2B. So could you help yep. us unpack that? We've got a little bit of time here. I really want to make sure we dig into that because I know yep. you have a really unique view on that. So take it away. Yeah. So in-house marketers, search marketers, agency marketers, they've all have this false belief that their website, they have to get their website to rank. They have to get people to their website. And the truth is that the search landscape has changed so much that sometimes your website can't even rank. Or if it does rank, the click-through rate is so poor and the volume for the term you're ranking for is so low and your conversion rate is so low that mathematically, even if you did rank in one's position, it wouldn't drive the results. And so what I like to talk about is this concept of discoverability. So you can look at a query, for example, like top ERP software, okay? You've got big players in this space, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, and they have awesome teams, exceptionally strong brands, great websites, talented agencies, funded, all the above that would traditionally say, oh, they should rank. But due to no fault of their own, Google is saying essentially that we know that if people want to spend $8 on a breakfast burrito, but they won't just show up to a place without looking at Yelp and then two other places to figure out who has the best breakfast burrito, people in-house aren't going to spend $250,000, million on a full ERP software without doing their research, comparison shopping, and looking at peer reviews. And due to that, what I call the Yelp and the Amazon effect, where we've been taught as buyers, whether B2C or B2B, to do our research, Google is surfacing third-party review sites in these types of bottom of funnel queries. I call these bottom of funnel because if you look at your Google ads and you go to your search term report, you'll find keywords that your primary keyword like ERP software when modified by terms like top or best or most or reviews, those are your most expensive terms because they have the highest buy related intent. And it's critical that your brand shows up there. But if your website can't show up because Google's not ranking it due to no fault of your own, what do you do? And now this is the process of saying, okay, let's make sure we have a Google ad. Okay, we have a search ad running. Okay, let's make sure we're on Captera, software advice, G2 Crowd, at every available location. And instead of measuring the success of those campaigns, I call it cost per acquisition basis or the death of B2B. We need to measure it on a cost per opportunity or a cost per deal basis. And by doing so, we can look at sales data, not marketing data, properly allocate spend resources and time. And then from that, drastically increase our pipeline and become an integral part of our company's growth through that alignment. So, so Gary, hold on one second. Hold process. on one second. I know you're going to, you've got a bunch of other stuff to share, but I just want the audience to understand something. When Garrett shared this with me, Okay, in our pre-interview, I went on to Google and I did a search for top ERP software. And what I saw really blew my mind, right? And he's a hundred percent correct. What you have is these review sites like Best Captera with Best ERP software reviews of the most popular systems. And then you've got software advice, top ERP software. You know, you're not seeing any of the top players showing up in the search results, which is really all based upon Google's design, right? They've designed it that way specifically because there's not one top ERP software provider there. And so, you know, it really kind of hit home with me that the game has changed a little bit. And so people that are still trying to rank for that term, Garrett's 100% right. It's a lose-lose equation, right? I mean, I don't care how much content you put yeah, out there. The list, right? The board, and we see this literally every day, right? We're working with a billion dollar company plus, and the board comes along and says, 
you know, what keywords are we targeting in the board? A board member or a C-level executive will be on their phone at 1 a.m. in the morning, search for a keyword. You're not showing up. And they're like, what the heck? Nobody, we're not showing up for this. Because search agencies are still selling, essentially, websites ranking for keywords as their value proposition. But the value proposition has to change. The value proposition has to be, look at all the places we can position your brand. We notice there's a Forbes.com article. We notice there's an entrepreneur article. We notice there's a CIO article. We will then reach out to that journalist. We're going to get you featured. We're going to make sure you're a part of that conversation. But just because it's not your website doesn't mean it's not valuable. You see, when someone's reading information and they're looking at unbiased sources, I would argue that it's actually more valuable because other people are saying it about you instead of you saying it about you. And that's the power is we need to track essentially discoverability, not keyword rankings. We need to like value brand, not traffic, because those are the things that get bucketed in, in 2019, 2020, and in the GDPR future into what I call direct, the death of all attribution. And what happens is, is we don't understand that every day, more and more of what we're doing as marketers is going into direct. We're losing that exact attribution. And we're slowly starting to think the wrong things instead of focusing on brand and our discoverability, and then how we turn that discoverability into leads and from leads into opportunities, deals, and revenue. And we need to be able to track all of that measure all of that and position ourselves to be discovered. That's why SEO exists. Like literally the entire point of SEO was that when someone searched in Google for the products or services you offer, you showed up. And Google saying, time out, your website can't even show up anymore for a lot of these queries, but nobody's changed the way they communicate it, value it or report on it. And that's a problem. Got it. So, you know, I'm glad you clarified that. So now that we understand this whole concept of discoverability, And we even have a really good example. And I would urge any of you listening to this, pull up Google and look at this. It'll really paint a picture for you. How would you, you know, could you guys dissect it a little bit, a couple of different strategies and how that brand, I know you touched on it, but could you dissect a little bit how a brand that's in this top ERP software space could really start being more discoverable and start controlling some of their future? Yeah. So I'm going to look at, you know, three different ways to do it. Um, Four, if you include the website. Number one, you can launch a Google ad campaign. Average click-through rate on that is going to be about 2 to 5%, probably more like 3%. Okay, So let's say that there's 100 people a month searching top ERP software. For example, you have a 2 to 3% click-through rate. You're going to have 2 to 3% market share for that query. Okay, You have one of four spaces there. Then you're going to go and you'll see those Captera software advice. Number one result in Google has a 28% click-through rate on average. And so now with that, the being in that number one spot where you're paying Captera, Plus at that ad spot, you now have 33% market share, okay? And what's cool is you can now, by using your Google ads and then integrating that directly using Google Click ID into your CRM system, you can now start to look at the ROI of a term. So you can actually use your search ads and by mining your search term report to essentially cast a net around your most profitable terms. And here's the problem with search marketing today. Most Google ad agencies will then essentially increase the amount of keywords they're targeting to increase volume. What they need to actually do is increase the amount of times their brand's discoverable for the terms that are already making them money instead of guessing. I call this an alpha approach. The beta approach is you find terms that are working, you prove the ad model, and once we get ROI, we have no problem increasing budget, right? Every consultant in the world's heard this. Once we see ROI, we have no problem increasing budget. But now the consultant, unfortunately, doesn't think about increasing budget to get market share around the already profitable terms. They think about how they can expand into new terms. 
And then what do they do? They fail because most new terms aren't don't have the same purchase intent because they start to go up funnel. They start to go middle of funnel or top of funnel. And now they start to experience diminishing marginal returns with their ad efforts. So what they really need to do is take market share where they're already profitable. So you already have a Google ad on top of your P software. Take one out on Captera. Take one out on software advice. Take one out on finances online. Take one out on GetApp. Take full market share, then integrate all those channels into your CRM, and then measure your success on a cost per opportunity, cost per demo, cost per proposal basis, and a cost per deal basis. And then you're going to see exponentially more success with your ad campaigns. Nice. So I like that approach because, you know, rather than taking that that more shotgun approach, right, of just adding new keywords, and you made a really good distinction is that, you know, those start becoming less intent driven keywords. So of course, they're going to not convert as well, right? And so I really like that where you're more doubling down on the terms that are working, but you're doing it in a unique format rather than just adding more budget to your Google ads you're bringing in other sources. Like some of these sites are pay to play, like you mentioned, right? Like Captera and Software Advice and Select Hub and all these different sites that are listed under that top ERP software. Some of them are probably pay to play. Some of them may not, but some of them probably are. And so you can do a pay to play model. Now, are you talking about actually they're doing more of an advertorial or are you talking about where you would integrate an ad that would hit that page because maybe they're displaying Google ads of some sort or both. So you could do direct, you could do like singular targeted placements using GDN. And I would do that on like a Forbes article that might rank or a CIO article or, or whatever that is. But no, these are a lot of times you have two kind of models in the third party review sites. You have a monthly SaaS model where you pay a set fee per month and it doesn't matter how many clicks you get. Then you have other models that are cost per click basis, just like Google. And so it really just depends essentially on that platform and what you're going after. But that's kind of how we set it up and manage it. And we manage this for a lot of our clients is we manage all their search channels, not just their Google ads. And that's what allows us once integrated into their CRM to reallocate budget based on things that are driving revenue, not things that have certain cost per acquisition. What I found is like cost per acquisition is the most misleading metric and the most harmful thing to optimize towards for B2B and enterprise. Because terms with high cost per acquisitions, most often in an optimal campaign, also result in the highest average order values. And so what happens is a lot of times agencies come in and they try to lower your CPA. And so what they do is they start to pause those keywords and they do different things to lower your cost per acquisition, which looks great on your marketing data. But what you don't know because you don't have full CRM attribution is that those are also the deals that had the highest propensity to close aka the largest close rate, and also the largest average order value. And so what you did is in the, for the sake of improving your marketing metrics, you hurt your sales metrics. And whether anyone likes to admit it or not in marketing, sales pays for marketing's budget because they're the ones that monetize what marketing did. So if you can't monetize your efforts, you're going to experience budget cuts, you're going to lose your headcount internally, and you're going to go through all these things once you do your annual review and once the CFO starts diving into it. And so these are the things that we help our partners, you know, obviously avoid and then empower them with so they can become more instrumental in the growth of their organizations. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I I mean, I think they maybe, you know, maybe some of these companies are doing it with good intent because they think that's Mm -hmm. the metrics that's going to make them look good to their client. When in reality, because they don't have the strategy or like you said, the attribution, you know, ability to set up attribution properly, that they're really, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face, right? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, they, 
it's you know they they have the best intentions and they're trying. It's a lot of times a direct to consumer model where it's volume driven and margin driven, which is very different than a B two B or enterprise model. Yeah, perfect. All right, is there anything else you want to add on that part? I have a couple of last minute questions, and we're going to wrap it up for today. You know, not really. I mean, I think just you know, I, if I'm out there and I'm working in house, I'm in B two B or enterprise. I would just be really focusing on how I can get better data, essentially, and correlate all my marketing efforts directly to sales. And then I would really think deeply about, is my brand discoverable? And are there channels that I could position myself on to grow brand awareness and market share at the bottom of the funnel where the timing's correct? Because at the end of the day, marketing is crucially timing dependent when it comes to sales. And so you got to really take that bottom of funnel positioning. And then from there, now you can grow your brand at the top of funnel because essentially you can capture the demand you're generating at the top. And you know if you follow that model, you're going to see a lot of success. Love it. Perfect. Two questions, rapid fire. Number one, what's your favorite growth tool or software, an app or something that you use to help grow your business? I like Northstar by Growth Hackers just for managing departments towards individual goals and then correlating all those departments' individual goals to an overall corporate objective so everyone feels empowered, has a voice, and is aligned. So I really like that tool. Cool. And what's one book that maybe has helped you on your journey or something that you would highly recommend to the audience? Good to great. Phenomenal book. Really good if you're trying to understand deeper about how businesses are successful and why certain businesses work better than others and what separated good companies from great companies. So highly recommend. Love it. All right, Garrett, listen, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about Directive, and we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. So you can reach out to me. It's first initial G at my last name, Mirgut at directiveconsulting.com or sales at directiveconsulting.com. I'm on Twitter at gmergut, LinkedIn at Garrett Mergut. But yeah, if you have any questions, shoot me a tweet, hit me up on LinkedIn, send an email. I'd love to help and support you in any way. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. Perfect. Thank you, Garrett. I'll make sure I include all those links in the show notes. And it's been awesome having you. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.